This is the third of four messages of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Trouble in the Best Marriages. Although he is using marriages as his primary example in these messages, Dr. Hunter says these teachings apply to most relationships we experience. To recap, Dr. Hunter first dealt with deciding without discussing, followed by denial and disguise. His third subject will deal with aiming blame. Genesis chapter 3 verses 9 through 13 will be Dr. Hunter's scripture text and it reads as follows. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me She gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And now all together. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. You may be seated. As we consider the words of that psalm, and we think about the kind of God who could call us into His presence and then offer us a place in His presence near His altar that is so gentle and so protected that even the swallow and the sparrow can come and nest there. And yet He is so mighty and so powerful that even from all the ends of the earth they hear Him calling and all of those creatures in the sea know who He is. How do we ever begin to express our praise to a God like that? Paul himself related to this dilemma and wrote these words in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. 
we are taking a little segment of time to notice what it is in our relationships that can damage long-term those relationships. We see that these qualities are not of recent vintage. As a matter of fact, they go clear back to Adam and Eve. And so today, we come to focus upon one of those damaging qualities. And that is the tendency to blame someone else for our mistakes. Now, one of the ways that we have illustrated these uh, tendencies that we have uh, is uh, by a, a protracted or, 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 or uh, ongoing parable that we have put in a kind of a spoof form of a soap opera. Today, we uh, listen to Eric. Eric, who has uh, last week um, been embarrassed by not being able to take care of the details of his life as well as he thought he could, now today he comes and he is uh, facing another temptation. He is he's about to shift the responsibility for his error onto the circumstances of his life, including his wife. But he's talking to a repo man that's just a little too sharp to let him do that. Listen now as we return to the days of our lives. Like smog clouding the horizon, like sand through the egg timer, like that annoying thing flashing 12 o'clock on your VCR, so flash the days of our lives. Last week, Eric and Jessica lost all of their furniture and Bob to the repo man. Today, Jessica is off making a new dress for herself out of the curtains, and we join Eric at the repo depot. Excuse me, sir. I need some assistance. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Almost got this. Hey, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Look, it's a bunch of fish swimming in the Bahamas. Can you see it? It's a bunch of dots. No, beneath the dots. It's a it's a 3D image. You can't see it, can you? <laughs> I have the gift, and you don't. Let me take a look at that. Yes, of course, it's a bunch of dolphins in their pajamas. Bahamas! Not pajamas. You can't see it, can you? You're just trying to fake it. Look, is it really important for you to point out yet another of my inadequacies at this time? I'm just here to reclaim my possessed possessions. It's uh, embarrassing enough. 
Got your stuff repossessed, huh? Well, just a few things. Like what? My furniture, my cars, and <clears throat> my live-in neighbor. Oh, yeah. Bob. Look, it's not my fault. <laughs> Never is. No, you see, I just got married. Okay. And you're in this religion where you're forced to marry some girl that you've never met. And it took your entire savings to make the dowry to pay off her family. No, we fell in love. and Jessica wanted to get married right away. Okay. And she's from this faraway land. And it took all your money to get her back from that war-torn country. No, Jessica is an American. She has a job. Well, then you've got two incomes. Well, not anymore. She got pregnant. What? Oh, I hate that. When they get pregnant on you like that. You must have been really angry. No, I wasn't angry. Of course I wasn't angry. I was thrilled. I am thrilled. It was just a surprise, that's all. Oh, sure, sure. You're out working all day long and you don't expect your wife to go off and get pregnant. Wait just a minute. My wife didn't go off and get pregnant. It's my child. I'm the father. Sure are. It's just that, well, you know how timing is. I guess balancing a new baby and a new car just doesn't work out in the bills. Oh, I see. You bought a new car, and then you found out you're going to be a daddy. Well, not exactly. I, I knew about the baby before I bought the car. But the salesman, Gary, oh, told... Uh you don't need to tell me anything about it. I've been a repo man for years. I know what happened. You were in your yard, minding your own business, mowing. And suddenly, the car of your dreams flew into your driveway. And this pushy salesman, smooth as the devil himself, slides out of the driver's seat. He turns to you and he says, Mr... Viking news. It's German. It means... Oh, well, whatever. Uh, this salesman, he's... Gary. Gary. Yeah, Gary. Okay, Gary slides out of the driver's seat. And he turns to you and he says, Mr. Zweikenis, I just thought you might like to take this little baby for a test drive. Get out, you scream! Get out! What are you doing in my driveway? I didn't ask you here! Mr. Swikinis, he says. I know that you're a wise steward of your money. And I knew that you would want to know that the market will never be better for you to buy this car. And it's on sale today. Today only. It's the only wise thing to do in the long term. You start to say no. And he grabs you, and he throws you to the ground. No down payment, he says. I can't, you say. And he pulls out a gun, and he sticks it to your head, and he forces you to sign the papers. No, oh, it wasn't your fault. All right, all right. I get your point, Mr. Analogy Man. Can I please just pick up Bob and go home? Bob? Yeah, my live-in neighbor, he was sitting on the couch that you repossessed. Uh, Bob was picked up by some woman. Uh, Susan. Susan? Oh my gosh, it's two o'clock.
diabolical fate awaits Bob at the hands of Susan. Will Jessica's new dress mean curtains for their relationship? Remain awake, gentle readers, for all the answers, and Susan herself will be apparent in the next and final episode of the Days of Our Lives. Well, I wonder if all of our excuses sound as silly as the repo man's foregoing explanation of what Eric was about to say. I wonder if all of us are as transparent when we begin to blame our circumstances on other people. I suspect that we are. Where did we get this tendency? When did it first manifest itself in the history of mankind? We'll turn to Genesis chapter 3. And let me read to you from the creation story, from the fall, actually. Let me begin with uh, verse 7, right after they sinned. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Adam and Eve just had one thing that they weren't supposed to do. One thing in all of life. And they did it. It was the big one. So there was absolutely no doubt when the occasion for accountability arose that they were in the wrong. But the rest of the story is topsy-turvy. As Satan begins to misrepresent inside of our inside our hearts who God is and how we are to be held accountable and as we begin to stumble through the things that we're to be accountable and the things that we want to hide from you see many of us maybe even Adam included would have owned up to the little things that he had done wrong in life because those aren't quite so painful But when there is a circumstance that seems so huge and so evident and so insurmountable, we tend to want to avoid responsibility for those kinds of very evident problems. We do that whether or not we live normal everyday lives or whether or not, whether we're in some sort of office. 
I was uh, surprised at the vehemence with which our Surgeon General this week came out against children smoking, youth smoking cigarettes. Now, I'm not against it that she came out against it. I think that's a wonderful thing, and, and that's a problem, and it shouldn't be done. But it was almost like her first moral crusade. She was so indignant and so strong and so shocked. Now, I'm sitting there thinking, what's missing in this picture? We have two huge problems in this nation. Problems of health. Problems of health that are set to such an extent that they are sucking dry the national economy, let alone the, destroy, the destruction of valuable human lives. Those problems are irresponsibility, uh, irresponsible use of our sexuality outside of marriage. By the way, that's one sentence for me. And drug use, the growth in drug use. Now, to this particular problem, we face unbelievable challenges. Here we have a growing rate of what used to be called illegitimate pregnancy, and that results either in the death of unborn children or in a spiraling uh, um, uh, poverty cycle of kids who, who may not be taken care of And those that don't result in pregnancy, the use of that sexuality outside of marriage, then results many times in sexually transmitted diseases that continues to kill uh, people. Now, we've got this other problem over here, and it's drug use. This addiction that we have for escape, all kinds of drugs, and Not only is it killing people in their prime and destroying their function and their brains and and wiping out valuable human beings, but it also increases the crime rate and destroys society so that our attention is to making up for the destruction that has happened. Now, to these huge problems, our Surgeon General has said, well, I'll tell you what, to this one, we'll throw condoms into the school And to this one, we'll think about legalizing drugs. But when it comes to our kids smoking cigarettes, we're going to put our foot down. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Well, what is wrong is not her, it's us. Because that same tendency I recognize in my life, I don't want to face the big questions. Give me a little question, give me a smaller question, and maybe I'll own up to that one. But you bring me a big insurmountable problem, and I'm going to try to avoid the responsibility for that. Many times by blaming someone else. Now this is what happened when God walked into the garden. I want you to picture a parent walking into the room when two kids have been fighting or something has been broken. It's the same scene. God's just coming in and saying, what's up? And the kids are standing there knowing that their goose is cooked. Now, God, first of all, I want you to have the attitude of God. I'm going to speak a little bit more about the attitude of God uh, later on. But I want you to picture the the attitude of God, because this is fairly uh, accurate, being not unlike a parent who walks in a room. A parent who walks in a room doesn't want a long, scholarly explanation of what has happened. He's not there for your autobiography. He's not there for a blow-by-blow description. He just wants it fixed. 
Look, you guys fighting? I want you to quit fighting. You guys break something? I want you to be responsible for it. He just wants the situation fixed. But the people who feel accountable feel like they've got to explain it. And the first thing they say is, I didn't start it. He started it. Which is exactly what Adam said. When God says, where are you? What is this that you've done? She started it. It's exactly what he says. He's in this little kid mentality. She started it. It's not what he's asking, not what he's going for. So we all have this tendency to say, when we feel on the spot, we don't, we don't completely try to lie and get out of the fault and say, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. What we do is try to shift attention onto somebody else. And so we end up blaming others for things we knew perfectly well that we were responsible for. Now this comes in two categories, and this is the reason I want this taped in, and because uh, I just thought about this in between services. The other services hasn't, haven't got, hasn't gotten this. Many times those uh, those uh, uh, people who blame others have a long time villain in their lives, and they will try to blame that one villain for everything that's gone wrong or for everything they hurt or if they have uh, something that they've dealt with for years and years anytime somebody pushes a button in their life this person will pop up uh, I mean it's just a natural ongoing thing but there's another category of people that I haven't mentioned before and that is a category who revert to this blame dynamic for anybody at hand for anybody that's around see well it's his fault and then they forget about it. They don't hold them accountable for everything that's gone wrong in life, but just for that particular circumstance, so that they don't have to be responsible for that particular circumstance. Let's go into exactly how ridiculous we look, and how flimsy our excuses are, and how blaming others just flat doesn't work in life, but yet we are held captive to those we blame, in a way. Let me first show you from Scripture a good picture of how silly it looks when we try to blame others for our sins. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Let me give you the picture here. Moses, who has been up on the mountain for quite some time now, the people have become alarmed because they don't know what's happened to him. He's been on the mountain. He has received the Ten Commandments. He's coming down. And he meets Joshua halfway down. And Joshua says... Man, I wonder what's happened down in the camp. It sounds like there's a war going on down there. But it's not the sound of war so much as a party. Now, Moses comes down and he sees that they have made a golden calf. Not they, his brother Aaron. Because he's left his brother Aaron in charge of these folks. Now, Aaron is a priest. And here they have made a golden calf. Not so much they as Aaron. And they're dancing around, and he comes to Aaron with basically the same stance that God came to Adam. What's up, Aaron? Now look what Aaron says. Read with me verse uh, 22. And Aaron said to Moses, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. Now he continues, For they said to me, 
Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, I love this, watch this. I said to them, well, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. You know? In other words, maybe the gold's a problem. Just, just tear it off. <laughs> so they gave it to me. And I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. <laughs> Do you believe he's trying to sell this stuff? He said, in, in other words, the implication is, well, look, I just tried to get rid of the gold, and, and they just gave it to me for some reason, and I tried to get rid of it as soon as I could. They put it in the fire, and, and this calf came out. I was just standing around, and this thing happened. How silly that is. But Aaron is willing to give up the responsibility for his life so that he won't have to take the responsibility for his sin. Listen to me very closely. You cannot give up responsibility of one without giving up responsibility for the other. They are tied together. There are many people who don't mind giving up responsibility for their lives. There are theologies that say that we're not really responsible. In the Eastern theologies, many times it's fate that has everything to do with how life is, and therefore we don't have any responsibility. A man can eat a full meal in front of a starving man. He feels no responsibility because that's his fate. And it may be my fate the next time around, but that's just his karma, and I don't have any responsibility to him because we are what we have been made. The mythology of the Greeks and the Romans, in that mythology many times we were nothing but pawns of the games of the gods. And we couldn't help our circumstances. We couldn't help what we did. In the Christian faith, hyper-Calvinism gives up responsibility for life because they say God is so detailed in what he has predestined that he's predestined every element of life and therefore life is just one big machine and we really, really don't have any responsibility. Now, not in Calvinism, but in hyper-Calvinism, that's the theology. In modern sociobiology, the sense is, I can't help what I do. It's in my genes. It's just how I am. It's how I was made. And therefore, I've got to do this. It's me. And we have consigned ourselves, once again, to the fate of our genetics instead of the responsibility for our behavior. You know, the Rubaiyat, Omar Khayyam, uh, wrote this. And it's a beautiful poem. But stinky theology. It says this. We are but helpless pieces in the game he plays on this checkerboard of nights and days. Beautiful poetry, lousy theology. We don't mind sometimes giving up the responsibility for our lives because to us it means giving up the responsibility for our sins, but you can't do either one. You know, the reason God came down to call upon Adam and to ask what he had done was so that he would take responsibility. It's an invitation, you see. 
God is not lousy at hide and seek. When God came down and said, where are you? He wasn't wondering. He, he's, he, God sees Adam immediately. It wasn't a question of geography. It was a question of biography. What have you done with your life? Take a look at yourself right now. Can you tell me honestly where you are right now? That's what God was asking. Why? Because to cover up our sins by blaming someone else makes a mockery of who God made us to be. And it makes it worse. You know, Shakespeare wrote in King John, he said, um, um, excusing a fault makes the, uh, doth make the fault worse by its excuse as putting patches upon a little breach discredits it more. Let me give you the visual picture of that. Do you remember when you were young and you had uh, these jeans that you just wore forever, you know? And, and people didn't used to buy a new pair of jeans every time one got kind of thin in spots. They'd just wear them and they'd, they'd try to repair them. Do you remember... Your, your, your knees would get white because the fabric was getting thin. And then there would appear just a little tear. See? And what would your mom do? Go down to Ben Franklin, five and dime, and buy these huge iron patches. And she'd put that, and she'd iron that patch. It had to be this big on that thing. And so when you were walking on the street, not only, not only was it stiff, but all people saw was a giant patch coming at them. You see, as patches set up on a little breach, discredits it more. When we try to make other people responsible for our failures, it just draws a focus to our failures. Not, is it a silly lie and we know there's a little tear underneath, but it is also a poor excuse. Do you know Booker T. Washington once said, and he, he was talking about slavery, but the same thing holds true for blame. He said, you can't hold a man down without staying down with him. I'd like to say you can't put a man down without being down with him. You can't blame a man. You can't blame a woman without being on their level. As a matter of fact, and this is something God wants you to hear, every time... You sacrifice the responsibility for your life and put blame on someone else. You are literally a prisoner of that person. You are saying, that person's stronger than I am. They are more responsible for how I behave than I am. And so you become their prisoner. Many times, they don't even know it. It's you holding yourself prisoner. Do you know how silly it is for us to say, I am like I am because my mother was like she was? Do you know how silly it is for us to say, well, you know, I'm really a good guy, but I hang around with some bad people. And my peers made me do this. And if we can't find anybody else to blame, what do we do? Oh, it's the culture we live in. That old Hollywood, it's just ruining me. We will find someone to take responsibility for our lives. Meanwhile, we are held prisoner in our own irresponsibility and we draw attention to our immaturity by that act. 
You know what God wants us to do? Recognize, first of all, that every time we blame someone for something, we're pointing the finger at ourselves. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. What an incredible verse this is. Well, let's just read verses 1 through 4. God's just real plain here. Look at what he says. Therefore, it says, you are without excuse. Oh, well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. It's exactly what I just said. Every time we blame somebody else, we're pointing the finger at ourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. Did you ever notice that what irritates you in other people are your minor imperfections that are exaggerated in the life of someone else? It says it right here, for you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon the, rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O oh man, that when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think God really falls for a plea bargain? Do, no, seriously, do you think, well, God, I, I, you know, I won't, I won't, I won't plead guilty to the whole thing, but I'll, I'll plead guilty to a lesser charge, you know, of extenuating circumstances. I mean, do we really believe that God's going to plea bargain with us? Oh, okay, okay, well, uh, instead of eternity, then, I give you one to five years of bad luck, you know? <laughs> where do we get that? Where do we come up with it going to? Well, from our court system. God's court system is just a little bit different. We have a, we have a cartoon back in the office um, that is a cartoon of Judgment Day, and there's three groups of people. One is saints, one is sinners, and one is, is an overcrowded compartment of people that says people victimized by, us, by society and therefore no longer responsible for their actions. Do you really think there's going to be that third category on Judgment Day? Now, nah, there's two categories, sinners and redeemed sinners. Two categories. So it says that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, this is the picture that we can't miss. It's the picture of why God came into that garden that day. You must understand the character of God. If God had wanted to condemn Adam and Eve to separation, to eternal punishment, and to death, he wouldn't have shown up at all. They had just sealed their fate themselves that day. And the act of wrath would be the act of just letting them stew in their own juices for an eternity. The fact that God was there calling for them was an act of kindness and forbearance and patience and love. That's the character of God. Anytime you feel the call of God on your life 
Anytime you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's a good thing. That's the hope that you have. Because God's coming to you and saying, where are you? I want to be with you. I miss you. I want to be together with you. Where are you? What have you done? Just tell me. Don't be blaming it on anybody else. Just tell me. I want to be together. That is God's character. You know, you can remember when you were little and you played outside with the neighborhood kids. I can remember every night after supper, went out, played until dark. Now, my definition of dark and my mom's definition were two different things. But I can remember getting into some real boogerhead stuff out there. And I can remember, you know, being, being a boogerhead and hearing my mom every night. She'd come out on the front porch. This is what you did when you, when you could still shout because there wasn't air, air, any air conditioning and their neighborhoods were neighborhoods. You, you'd come out and you'd, she'd say, Joey, it's time to come in. It's getting dark. Now, if I was into some boogerhead activity and I heard her voice, my first reaction would be, <laughs> caught. I'm dead. But then I realized the character of my mother. She just wanted me to come in. My second reaction was, it's not dark. I can see fine. Because, see, we've got this natural night vision where our pupils get about this big. I can see fine. I don't see. It's not dark out. But I'd always go in and be with my mom. And my mom would always be glad to see me. And that's where I belonged. And, of course, after I went in, I looked out the window. Guess what? Pitch black. Pitch black. I was just out there. How could I have not realized the darkness? Well, you, you don't realize the darkness till you get into the light. That's why those of you who are operating without God think you're doing okay. Because you don't know how dark it is till you get into the light. Now, let me give you three things that I believe God wants us to do. Very practical things. And with this, I'll close. It's under the category of die once and you never have to die again. Own up to whatever you need to own up to and you don't have to keep making excuses for it the rest of your life and you don't have to find people to blame for it the rest of your life. First thing God wants us to do is he wants us not only to confess sin, he wants us to confess responsibility for our lives. Those are two different things. Some of you are real good at confessing sin but not very good at saying, I am responsible for my life, nobody else is. I live it because I have chosen to live it this way, and I'm not going to blame it on my mom, or my grandfather, or my uncle, or my boss, or my friends, or anybody else. I will take responsibility for my life, and I will live it before God. Now, well, let me go on. Second thing God wants us to do, he wants us to stop blaming other people. And he wants us to forgive them. Why? Because he doesn't want us to be prisoner to them anymore. He doesn't want us to be in a place of spiritual impotence. You know what? The people that we blame as being accessories to our sin, that 
may be correct. They may have been a bad influence upon us. They may have hurt us. We may be uh, people today who operate as unsure of ourselves, partly because they were in our lives. So there may be some clinical accuracy to our blame. But I want you to hear this. There is absolutely no spiritual potence to it. It holds us prisoner. And so as long as we blame them, they have dominion over us. As long as we give them responsibility for our lives or for our hurt, they have dominion in our lives. God does not want that. There is one person to have dominion in our lives, and his name is Jesus Christ. And if we are prison prisoner to anyone else or any other memory, then we are prisoner too long. So he wants us to stop blaming other people. Both individuals who may be long-term targets of blame, long-term villains, and the little people we find every day to blame. Because that just as much hands over the responsibility for our lives. Number three, God wants us, after we've come to him and say, okay, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to admit what I've done. I'm going to correct what I've done. I'm going to repent. Your kindness has led me to repentance. He wants us to do something of a positive nature. He wants us to act on that responsibility. To do something of the nature of Jesus Christ for someone else, even if it's little. You know what happened when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law? She got up and served him. Why? Well, not because she was a woman and servile in attitude, but because she came from a position of impotence to a position of potence, and she wanted to act on it. As soon as you can forgive other people, act on that position of potence. Do something. doesn't have to be big. Do something to let God know, I will be responsible. I am being responsible to my freedom and the power you've given me. Now, I want to have just a little time of prayer because we couldn't go out of here and not ask the Holy Spirit to bring to our mind people we needed to forgive and stop blaming for our lives. So let me ask Tim to come out because I I pray better when there's a little music in the background. And uh, as Tim plays... Is Tim here? (laughs) Thanks, Tim. (laughs) As Tim plays... Let me ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind one of two things or two of two things. First of all, that he will bring to your mind those people who have had a very big influence on your life and you think a detrimental influence. So that you can turn those people over to God, either to his justice. And by the way, please understand that when God says vengeance is mine, he means it. Many times, people won't give up blaming other people because they don't. They think God's going to be too, too merciful and he doesn't really know what they've done and they deserve something. Not your call. It's God's call. But God is faithful and he is just as just as he is merciful. But the other thing is that we think it's our responsibility to continue to care for them somehow. 
Hand them over to God. They're God's. They're not yours. Secondly, if there's a habit that you have, every time I make a mistake, I'm going to blame somebody else. Just periodically. And I'll make my way through life not learning about my own inadequacy, not improving myself, blaming other folks so that I don't have to face myself. If you've got that habit, today's the day to turn it over. Okay? Pray with me and let me pray us into that prayer and then I'll, I'll conclude us also. God, first of all, I'd, I'd like to give the opportunity to anyone in this sanctuary who has never uh, turned their life over to you. They've, they've tried to do it all on their own. Uh, they have tried uh, to not face you. They've tried to hide um, their shame or deal with their shame rather than just coming out and saying, God, I did this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the only forgiveness that I know I deserve is the forgiveness that Jesus Christ won for me on the cross at Calvary. And so, Father, I accept the gift of His forgiveness, His shed blood, and I thank You for it. God, let them pray that prayer as they invite You into their hearts today. If they feel the call of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And for the rest of us, God, who have prayed that prayer, but yet we continue to hide from you. We've got that personal relationship, but we continue to, to blame other, other folks. Hear us now as we come to you. And give those people to you. People who have either cooperated in our sin or who have hurt us so that we don't feel potent. Hear us as we hand them to you. And as we gain freedom through Jesus Christ today. And as we hand that habit to you. And as we take responsibility for life. Hear us now, we pray in Jesus' name. For the goodness and the long-suffering that continues to come after us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that will not leave us alone. 
that chases us down and commands us to grow up. God, thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And thank you just as much that while we continue to struggle with sin, you come to us and surround us with your love and the promise of your strength. Go with us as we leave here today, reminding us that we are responsible, but we are responsible to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.